How can conspiracy theories become a form of idolatry? I've written a column for the latest Issues Etc. journal titled, Yes, Elvis is Dead, But God is in His Heaven, a pastoral response to conspiracy theories. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Julie Stegemeyer writes about her path from Methodism to Lutheranism. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. So, I've watched it happen over the course of my 30-year ministry. Funeral practices have changed. When I started as a young pastor, very few people were cremated. Now, it's quite common for cremations to be the way that the body is dealt with after death. Now, Christians of a bygone era would have found that remarkable. Some of them would have found it offensive. And while these practices do not in and of themselves necessarily speak against the Christian confession, we do need to talk about how they may do that and how the changing funeral practices more generally may speak against the Christian confession. Welcome back to Issues Etc. Joining us to talk about the Christian confession and funeral practices, Josh Pauling. He's a classical educator. He's vicar at All Saints Lutheran Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, a columnist for Modern Reformation and Salvo, and author of a column for Touchstone magazine titled Burial Plots, Christian Tradition is a Subversive Witness Against Modern Funeral Practices. Josh, welcome back. Hey, good to talk with you, Todd. Why do Christians care about the treatment of the body after death? Well, because the body is central to our person and who we are. We are soul-body composites. And so the body wasn't an afterthought with God. If we think of the Genesis account of creation, he intimately forms and fashions the body, right? And breathes into it the breath of life. It was all declared very good. And then, of course, the incarnation, where God himself takes on flesh in Christ. And Jesus still has his body. He has a glorified body, which he will always have. So the Christian witness from the beginning is that the body is not just a shell to dispense with if we want or upon death. The body is central to who we are, and we will be reunited with it one day in the resurrection. There will certainly be a temporary separation upon death until the last day, but it's exactly that. It's temporary, right? It's an intermediate state that we're, we're longing to be released from when our bodies and soul will be reunited upon the last day. So I think this is this is something that uh, a lot of authors are writing about lately to help us recover the centrality of of the human body and what it means to be a, a human person. And many have said that anthropology and understanding the human person is really the the defining issue of our day. Uh, John Kleinig wrote about this so elegantly in his recent book, Wonderfully Made. And I just want to quote a, just a brief line from that book. He says this: "We do not just have bodies; we are bodies." And I think that really, it's a jarring claim to say that, that we are bodies, but that's really the point. I think we need to recover that in, in an environment where there's so many forms of, of reductionistic thinking about the human person. There's Gnostic ways of thinking, there's mind-body dualism, all of these ways that where the internal self is pitted against the body. We need to resist that. So all of this is to say that when we care for the body and death, we're really caring for the person. What did the earliest Christians do with the dead? Well, here the, the historical evidence is pretty clear. 
it was burial and internment. If we think of the catacombs and, and other uh, examples of this in the uh, Greco-Roman world, uh, a lot of Roman em emperors even commented about this, that this was something that made Christians different. Uh, the, the typical practice in, in the Greco-Roman world was to burn the body, whereas Christians buried the body. A great source on this is our great historian and theologian from the LCMS, Alvin Schmidt, who recently passed. He has two books on this topic, one from Ashes to Ashes or Dust to Dust, and then he expanded that just a few years ago in a book called Cremation, Embalmment, or Neither. So I'd recommend those resources for those who really want to dig into some of the historical evidence. What's the trend in the West regarding the bodies of the dead? Well, clearly it's towards alternatives to burial. Cremation rates are really exploding in the West. I'll just give you some numbers here from the North American context. For example, in 1963 in America, the cremation rate was about 3%. By the time we get to the year 2000, it's about 25%. But in these last two decades, the percentage has more than doubled. For example, in 2022, According to the Cremation Association of North America, according to their reports, 59% cremation rate in the United States. Canada had about a 74% cremation rate. And then the projections are just continually rising for next year by, well, I guess I should say by 2025, the percentages are, are probably going to be around 65% in the United States and about 82% in Canada. So clearly that's the trend and trajectory. And there's other new alternatives as well that are emerging. There's this thing called aquamation, which is really a, a form of liquid chemicals that are used to decompose the body rapidly. There's also human composting. These things are legal in some states. And then there's also a growing practice of what some call green burial or natural burial. And with this one, while it, it is frequently associated with maybe an environmentalism or being one with nature, I think there is something in natural burial that's being picked up on, and that is the, the very inhumane treatment of the body in, in modern practices, whether it's cremation, whether it's even embalming and what happens in a normal funeral burial. Why has the church historically resisted and sometimes opposed cremation? Well, there's, there's a lot of reasons. One is its historical connections to pagan religions and practices that had a different understanding of the human body and the soul. There was intentional thinking that went into this in the Christian community when it comes to what we would do with the dead. And they were looking at surrounding pagan practices and, and realizing that what those cultures and, and groups were doing with the body related to their understanding of the human person. And the Christian understanding was different. And so what we did with the body tended to be different. And then also there was the concern in, in what we were communicating in those final practices with the body. What were we communicating about the, the value of the body, about the resurrection of the dead, and so forth. So those are really two categories of reasons. And again, there's a lot of good writing on this by Alvin Schmidt and others. How has death been commercialized? Mm. There's just so many things that cost so much money nowadays when it comes to funerals or burials. The whole industry of the funeral home has really exploded in the last few decades. Uh, there's all these various versions of caskets at different price points. There's burial vaults. There's embalmment. There's all sorts of regulations and professionalization. 
And of course, some of those things are are good and and important and help things to be more more efficient and sanitary and so forth. But there's really it's almost turned into a big business. And Jessica Mitford wrote a great book about this in the '60s. Actually, she was a journalist, and she wrote a book called "The American Way of Death," published in 1963. And she really looked into the funeral industry, and especially in the American context, and and really saw it becoming something that was like a, a new market with all the the language of Madison Avenue marketers and so forth. And then she revised the book around the year 2000. And she included, at that point, more information about cremation as well. And so this book, I think, is a great way to track what was happening when it comes to the practice of, of what we do with the, with the body upon death. Mitford's a great resource there. So those would be some examples of how death has been commercialized in the American context. How do commercialization and cremation often go together? Yeah, this is something that in Mitford's revised book, she she talked about a little bit. Originally, when she wrote the first version in the 60s, she thought cremation might emerge as sort of a low-cost, more no-frills form of what to do with the dead. She called it a simple, tidy solution to the disposal of the dead more affordable, more efficient, and so forth. But in the late 90s, she already saw that what happened to the funeral industry was happening to the cremation industry, that it also was becoming, quote, a a way to make a buck through the sale of of the niche, the urn, and the perpetual care of the ashes. So that was something she saw emerging in the 90s when the cremation rate was was hovering around 20 to 25%. Now we're up over 50% and those numbers are rising. So cremation now has become its own its own market. Uh, commercialization has spread there as well with large crematoriums and things of that nature. How has the church followed these trends in the funeral business? Well, I think it's fair to say that uh, we all could probably think of some funerals or celebration of life services that we've been to that seem to have picked up on some of these trends and and maybe forgotten some of the ancient paths when it comes to traditional Christian uh, funeral practices. In many ways, funerals and celebration of life services have become sort of personalized affairs where it becomes another way to express myself rather than to confess the faith. And so maybe I'll just give some examples of how this happens and what sort of gets swapped out, maybe juxtapose some traditional things with some more contemporary things. So instead of, first off, calling it a funeral, and sometimes it's called a celebration of life, many times the graveside committal is sort of forgotten or or not done, but we make sure to add something in at the church, maybe a video montage or a post of pictures. Many times the open casket is gone. It's too much of a confrontation with death. Instead, we have an urn of cremains. Many times biblical lament isn't a part of this anymore. Instead, we end up with sentimentalism or the person living on in our hearts and minds. So in all these modern practices, we see a change in what the funeral was. In many ways, we end up muting the hope of the resurrection of the dead. And we also are sort of muting the sting of death as well. So I think those are some examples as to how the church has absorbed some of this. I think, too, maybe the church can think of ways to make funerals and burials more affordable. They don't need to be expensive, elaborate affairs. It is possible to be buried in affordable ways. Uh, In some states, uh, 
embalming does not have to be done. There are various requirements and things to look into on that front. You don't always need an expensive casket. In some places, you don't even need a burial vault. So I think this is something where we need to sort of pool our resources and our knowledge and help each other as the church to make the good confession in death. Cost shouldn't be an excuse or a reason that someone can't express their faith through these traditional practices of Christian burial. Josh Pauling is our guest. We're talking about the Christian confession and funeral practices. Do these alternate forms of body treatment necessarily contradict the Christian confession regarding death, the body, and the resurrection? Are you thankful for the worldwide outreach of issues, etc.? Please consider making a special Thanksgiving gift. You can make a secure online donation at issuesetc.org. You can also contribute by check. Make your check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. For a year-end contribution of $250 or more, we'll send you our forthcoming book, Objections Overruled 3, and a new recording of 15 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. As we prepare to gather with loved ones this Thanksgiving and thank God for the blessings He has provided, we want to give thanks for all who support Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries. Hi, my name is Rahima Kavuga, Director of Synod Relations at Lutheran Church Extension Fund. At LCEF, we believe in nurturing the growth of LCMS ministries, ensuring they have resources they need to thrive. And we can't do it without our investors, partners, and employees. From all of us at LCEF, thank you and happy Thanksgiving. We like our crosses full and our tombs empty. You're listening to Issues Etc. This is Pastor Matthew Harrison, President of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. The LCMS operates the second largest parochial school system in the United States. What can you expect from a Lutheran Church Missouri Synod school? There's one race, the human race. And Jesus died for the sins of every man, woman, and child from every land and every nation. Life begins at conception. All life is precious from womb to tomb. And every student, parent, and teacher is created in the very image of God. There's right and wrong, and we know which is which from the Ten Commandments. There are only two sexes, male and female, he created them. Marriage is the lifelong union of one man and one woman. There's such a thing as objective, absolute truth, and it's found in the person and work of Jesus Christ and His Word. To find a Lutheran Church Missouri Synod school near you, visit lcms.org schools. We're talking about the Christian confession and funeral practices with Josh Pauling. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Josh is author of a column for Touchstone Magazine titled Burial Plots. Christian Tradition is a subversive witness against modern funeral practices. Speaking of a theology of the body, Lutherans for Life equips Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. Check out their free pro-life resources at lutheransforlife.org, lutheransforlife.org. Josh, do these alternate forms of body treatment necessarily contradict the Christian confession regarding death and the body and the bodily resurrection? Well, that's a tough question, and uh, I know this topic is controversial. So I'll start by saying that God certainly can and will resurrect all human flesh on the last day. 
no matter the body's state of composition and no matter the mode of treatment upon death. So that's not what I'm writing about in this piece or that's not what really is being debated here, right? But what I'm trying to get us to do is think about if our practices align with the reality of the resurrection of the dead and clearly confess it to the world. So my goal is by no means to bind anyone's conscience here or to go beyond what is written. Rather, I think these are questions we need to think about. And maybe, you know, we forgot about them in, in the last few generations or overlooked them in some way. And it, I think it's important to look back at the ancient path to see what Christians have done historically, why they did it. And then that puts us at a better place to find a path forward today. And of course, it's a very challenging topic because it's, it's an emotional one, right? It's connected to our own lives, our loved ones, our personal experiences. And certainly all the pastors out there can, could say much more about that and just how hard these things are, especially in the moment, which I think is another reason it's, it's all the more important to think about these things ahead of time. In the moment or in the time of crisis, it's extremely hard to deal with these types of issues in a reasonable and productive way. And I think this issue is one that might in some ways parallel the issue of contraception and birth control. I think for a few generations, the church maybe has forgotten some of the historic practices there. And, and I know myself personally, early in my marriage, there are probably some things I would do differently now, now that I know more when it comes to contraception and birth control. But I just sort of assumed, right, and went along with things that now, after further reflection, you know, have given me some pause. So I think there are some parallel issues as well that people are reevaluating today. And it's time to do that on a lot of these questions. How have Christians historically confessed the goodness of the body in their funeral practices? First off, by caring for the body with personal embodied care, historically done by family, friends, and the church. Also by going to the graveside to place the body into the ground. This is one of the things, again, that stuck out in the ancient world. Christians were different on this front. And several Roman emperors identified care of the dead as one of the factors that contributed to the rapid spread of Christianity throughout the Roman Empire. So Christians confess the goodness of the body and how we care for and respect the body even in death. And this again reminds us that the body is not a disposable gadget or some waste product. It is who we are. And in scripture, we even see that buried corpses are referred to as persons, often by name, not as things. So I think that, again, reiterates this goodness of the body and in, in how we treat the dead. What have Christians historically confessed about death in their funeral practices? In the historic Christian funeral, what we're saying is that death is not natural, that death has a sting. And frequently today, death gets smoothed over, both in society and in the church many times, as if it's just a natural part of life, that it's the cycle of life. But the Christian view is, is no, that death has a sting. Death is a curse. It's a result of the brokenness of the world brought about by the original fall into sin. So death is an enemy, and it's the last enemy to be destroyed. And so that means that, that death should be mourned over, not muted or smoothed over. Death is something that will, will always have resistance. It's jarring. It's abrasive. And that friction, we need that. And it's not morbid to say so. It's just a reality. And it, I think it's a reality that Christians historically grappled with much more than we do today in our modern world where we are so insulated from death and, and the experience of death. It frequently gets outsourced 
to the funeral home and so forth. So maybe we should face the discomfort a little more of carrying a large casket, of seeing the dead body, of placing it into the ground. All of those things also help us process death and remind us what the body actually is and of its true destiny. How do historic Christian funeral practices confess the bodily resurrection? Well, historically, first, by using burial. This, again, was an intentional confession of the resurrection of the body. Another way was by, in large parts of church history, the use of church cemeteries, that the cemetery was was connected to the church. And then as well, through the scriptures and hymns and prayers and rituals that are used, for example, Job 19, that Job confesses that in his flesh he shall see God. Romans 6, right? These are some of the classic texts of the funeral service. And Romans 6, Paul says that if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Other practices at the funeral that help confess this bodily resurrection, the casket is usually covered with a funeral pall, reminding us of the white robe of Christ's righteousness. The casket is many times placed next to the font, again, connecting us to our death and burial and resurrection with Christ in the waters of baptism. So those are some examples. Finally, why do funeral practices matter? Because it's our final Christian act. What we do with our body is in many ways our final confession. And we have such a rich heritage of prayers and hymns and rites that can help us process death biblically and confess this truth. We can rightly mourn death's unnaturalness, and we can also grieve for the loss it brings. Yet we also can confess the goodness of the body and the final resurrection. So the practices that we have in the church are such a gift to help us process death, to help us confess the goodness of the body and the resurrection of the dead. And I think these are questions that we all should think about and think about ahead of time so we can prepare to make the good confession in our final Christian act. Josh Pauling is a classical educator, vicar at All Saints Lutheran Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, a columnist for Modern Reformation, Salvo. He's author of a column for Touchstone magazine titled Burial Plots, Christian Tradition is a Subversive Witness Against Modern Funeral Practices. You'll find a link to it at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Josh, thanks. Thank you, Todd. Wednesday on Issues Cetera, we'll continue our series on Christian sanctification in the family, the state, and the church with Dr. Alfonso Espinosa, author of our book of the month, Faith That Shines in the Culture, and its media coverage of religion with journalist Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. This is Pastor Tyler Arnold of Village Lutheran Church in Ladue, Missouri. The Saints at Village are proud to be an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. If you are in the St. Louis area, join us for the Divine Service at 8.15 or 10.45 a.m., Bible Study and Sunday School at 9.30 a.m., 
as we receive Christ's promise of salvation and forgiveness through word and sacrament. You can find us at villagelutheranchurch.org. Village Lutheran in St. Louis welcomes you. College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep, scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of his family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I say yes to God in His ways.